Hi everyone, welcome to Leading Edge Parenting. I am your host today, Melissa Schwartz, and I am delighted to bring you Holly Girth, a best-selling author, life coach, and podcaster, who is also the author of the new book, The Powerful Purpose of Introverts. In today's episode, we're going to talk about introversion and how it dovetails with high sensitivity. I know you're gonna find this really, really interesting, I did. So stick around. We'll be right back with Holly after a quick break. Do you want to raise confident, kind, responsible children without using punishment, guilt, or shame? Of course you do. Many parents find that there are times when emotions just get the best of their good intentions. And then they feel awful after yelling, threatening, or tuning out their kids. This is especially true when parents are overwhelmed. With this in mind, we've created the first ever Parenting Cleanse, designed to hit reset and kickstart change. Together, we'll help you flush out the old ways of thinking and change the habits that push your buttons, which then cause you to react. As you release painful beliefs, stories, and triggers, you'll find yourself free of needing to control anyone else's behavior. This self-paced journey is very affordable and will help you come away with a fresh perspective and confident wisdom. And podcast listeners can save 20% by entering code PODCAST at checkout. Learn more and get started at www.parentcleanse.com. That's www.parentcleanse.com. Remember to use code PODCAST to save 20%. That's code PODCAST to save 20%. Hi, Holly. I'm so happy to have you here. The reason that I really wanted to talk with you today is because of this new book that you just released called The Powerful Purpose of Introverts. And when I saw about this book, I just kind of stopped in my tracks because as a highly sensitive person, I'm often interested in writing about introverts and and um, I identify with a lot of it, even though I identify as an extroverted, highly sensitive person. So to kind of dive in and get started, can you explain what an introvert is for our listeners today? Yes. Well, I love Susan Cain's definition, which is someone who prefers a minimally stimulating environment. I would say introverts are at their best when they can fully focus on one thing at a time, whether that's a person, a project, a conversation, And so people who thrive in quieter, more independent working environments, who are highly observant, just kind of this collection of strengths and characteristics that tend to go together. But it really doesn't have much to do with people. That's the big myth, that it's not about small talk or how much we like parties. Our brains and nervous systems are actually wired differently in some significant ways in our neurotransmitters, the side of our nervous system we rely on and even the primary brain pathway we use for processing. So introverts and extroverts just have a different way of engaging with the environment around them. Cool. Oh my gosh, I have like 100 questions I want to ask. (laughs) My brain's going in all these different directions. So since you just sort of talked about 
how introverts and extroverts, our brains sort of work differently. Can you talk more about, so what is an extrovert if, if, if what you just described is an introvert? Yeah, so uh, from a brain science perspective, extroverts rely more on a neurotransmitter called dopamine that works kind of like caffeine. It revs you up, prepares you for action. It's released whenever you engage with something in your external environment, whether that's people or lights, noise. So introverts have a level of dopamine that already feels pretty good to them. So if we have a lot more coming in, it feels like having a whole pot of coffee where it's exciting at first, but eventually exhausting. But extroverts actually have need to have things that release more dopamine into their system. And so that's why extroverts tend to kind of crave that external engagement more than introverts. And introverts rely more on a different neurotransmitter, acetylcholine, which I see is more like herbal tea. So it's released when you turn inward, have a meaningful conversation with one person, focus deeply on a project. And so that's sort of the more introvert side. And then I mentioned the brain pathway. So extroverts use a shorter, faster brain pathway that's more focused on the present. That's why y'all are great at things like, you know, quick back and forth conversations. You're often to make, able to make decisions quickly. You know, we see those strengths there. Introverts use a longer, more complex brain pathway that takes into account the past, present, and future. So we often need a little bit of time to reflect before we respond. But our strengths are often adding context and insight and those kind of things when we are in a conversation, especially about making decisions. And so those are some differences that exist between the two yeah. that are really just kind of hardwired into us. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, as you're talking, of course, everything gets filtered through our personal uh, experience. And I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, well, shoot, I kind of sound like both of those. You know, I... I, when you talk about being an extrovert, I'm like, yeah, that's totally me. But when you talk about being an introvert, there are the pieces of it that sound like me are also the pieces of me that I identify as being highly sensitive. Yes. So, so let's kind of go another layer down into sorting things out. So are you familiar with high sensitivity? I am. Yes. And do you also identify as a highly sensitive person? Yes. I'm yeah. HSP. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So so, so let's sort of, um, I, you know, the way that my brain is kind of compartmentalizing introvert, extrovert, and highly sensitive person is almost into four categories as like an introvert, a sensitive introvert, an extrovert, mm -hmm. and a sensitive extrovert. So can you help me make some sense of all of these different categories? Like what is really the difference between an introvert and a sensitive introvert? Because to me, as you're describing an introvert, I'm thinking, oh, that sounds like high sensitivity. Can you talk about, um, you know, what it, what the difference is between a sensitive introvert and a neurotypical introvert, for example? Yes, yes. Well, I think it's helpful to point out too that none of us are 100% one or the other. You know, it's really on a continuum. I have a little quiz on my site that you can take that will tell you what percent introvert you are. And so seeing it that way too, that knowing, yeah, we're all hybrids when it comes down to it. It's more like being right or left-handed. Mm -hmm. And so we use all, both hands in many ways every day, but there's one that's probably a little bit stronger that we rely on more, particularly in certain situations. And so I think it is helpful to break it into categories, like you said, and I imagine you do have a lot more introvert characteristics than many extroverts because you do have that high sensitivity piece. 
So I would say you are able to pull in some introvert strengths, perhaps more than if you didn't have that high sensitivity piece. I think that the difference between an introvert who's an HSP and an introvert who's not an HSP, my husband and I are both introverts. I had him take Elaine Aaron's HSP quiz. He scored a zero. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I wow. scored very high, you know, and so we are both introverts. And so in thinking about the differences between us, mm -hmm. I think, I know Elaine says it's not just about emotional sensitivity, but I think that does play a role. So for example, there are TV shows that have crime or different things in it that I cannot handle. I'm just mm -hmm. too impacted by it where he is more logical and matter of fact, and that doesn't impact him in the same way. So I actually talk in my book about using the word perceptiveness rather than just sensitivity, because I think all introverts have an area of perceptiveness where they are highly observant in ways others probably are not. So for example, I'm that way, highly sensitive, highly perceptive in the area of like emotions and relationships, psychology. And my husband, not so much. He's a great guy, but just that's not his area. But he's an architect. And every time we walk into a building, he can point out a hundred things that are one inch off that I never in my life would notice. We built a house and he was like, we have to pick the colors of our shingles. And I was like, there's more than one color. Like, <laughs> you know, like I'm not visually perceptive at all. And so it's helpful for me to think of it in that way, that there are all areas, we all have areas where, we're, where we are highly observant, mm -hmm. more so than the general population. I would say that that is an introvert characteristics that is also true of HSP extroverts. Mm -hmm. So I would say non-HSP extroverts, even though they have their own set of amazing strengths, probably don't have that same level of perceptiveness and sensitivity. And so to me, that's a big distinction because really that sensitivity and perceptiveness is about some kind of observance where we are just highly tuned in. And that often shows up to be the area where we work in, you know, where our gifts are that we end up pursuing. I share about a chef, you know, who makes the world's best mashed potatoes and all the other chefs are jealous of him because he's gotten all these Michelin stars because his sense of taste is just so beyond what, you know, the norm is. And so I tell people, especially introverts or HSP extroverts, look at your life and see where you have a level of perceptiveness, especially in a particular area that is just above the norm. And that they, that may be a real source of gift giftings for you. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That sort of, um, I noticed that's a message that's sort of continuous through all of your work is really about this, um, this total embracement of who we are and acceptance of the way that we are wired to move through life, which is something that I really work on emphasizing in my work also, because it's when we come to recognize that the thing that makes us different is also our gift then we can use it to serve the world and serve our purpose. Yes. And for a long time, there are parts of me as an introvert, especially that I thought I need to get rid of this part of who I am as a counselor and life coach. My clients would often say that to me and, you know, faith important in my life. And I just felt like, I don't feel like that's what God wants. Like, I think we're designed intentionally all of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so I started seeing it as like, you know, a continuum again, where in the center is kind of a, 
core characteristic of who we are, like a sensitive nervous system. And so on the left side of the continuum, that could look like a struggle, like anxiety. You know, those of us who are HSPs are more likely to struggle with anxiety. On the right side, it would be labeled strength, and that would be that empathy or perceptiveness. Mm -hmm. And so instead of saying, I have to get rid of this part of who I am, I started asking, how do I just take small steps toward the strength end and away from that struggle end? Just recognizing this is a built-in vulnerability I have, but I don't have to live there. I can learn to manage it. There are a lot of strategies, and I can just over time learn how to really lean into the strengths that come with that characteristic instead. Absolutely. What a beautiful perspective. So on that note, you know, again, I'm thinking through my own personal lens about some of the, um, the, the traits of being highly sensitive that were a challenge for me as an extroverted HSP, um, which were more things about the way that I expressed emotions. They were really big and intense or um, being really strong-willed and maybe coming off as abrasive or rude or disrespectful because I had this really um, strong in inner knowing. I'm curious, as an introverted HSP, what were some of the challenges of self-acceptance that you faced? Like, what were some of the, the parts of yourself when you were younger or growing up that as an introverted HSP, you struggled to really accept and integrate? Yeah, I think for me, especially it was just recognizing my limits when it came to energy and my ability to just not continually engage forever with people, even though I loved them. Mm -hmm. So especially when I first started publishing and getting tons of speaking invitations, I just kind of said, I have to be an extrovert now, like that's the job. Yeah. And so I traveled and traveled and spoke and spoke and ended up on the brink of burnout. Mm -hmm. And you know, just really had believed some lies about I have to do this in a way that doesn't fit who I am and really had to go through a process of saying, you know what, if God made me this way, then it's a fit for his purpose for my life. Like I don't have to change who I am in order to do what matters. And so that really took some time for me to process. And I think that's important, especially for kiddos. Like a friend of mine has a HSP son who's in elementary school, struggles with anxiety. And she asked me, you know, what do I do about that? And I said, well, get him all the help and resources you can, like absolutely equip him, but also talk to him about how this is a superpower that not everyone notices as much as he does or feels as deeply as he does. So instead of labeling it as this is something wrong with you, that this is your superpower, then you can use it as a force for good. And I love that in so many superhero stories, they all go through this phase where like they have to figure out how to channel their superpower. You know, they're accidentally like blowing up a building or, you know, doing something when they haven't quite got a handle on that thing yet. And so I think that's just sort of a phase we go through as HSPs is learning how to sort of harness what has been entrusted to us, um, which at the start feels out of control, or we may wrestle with, you know, some negative messages about, but once we do that, it really is something that can be powerful. I, I agree. And I am cheering you on from <laughs> over here because I, I resonate with everything that you, that you said there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a matter of learning how to use the sensitivity and our sensitive nervous systems um, as, as um, a tool rather than feeling overwhelmed by it. And, and um, I often say that 
it's, it's almost like as sensitive people were born with this um, more advanced emotional experience that we almost have to grow into. We, you know, we don't have the tools to navigate it when we're young. And so we really have to kind of grow into it in a, in a more mature way at a younger age. And once we do, you know, the world's sort of our oyster. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. I yeah. love that. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, you know, often when, when I hear about introverts or I, you know, the, the internet is, is full of what I would say, not great articles about introversion. Um, usually they're talking about, you know, you want to stay home and read a book and you don't want to go to parties and, and they sort of paint being an introvert as um, like a lonely, almost sad experience. Are there any other myths about being an introvert that you'd like to debunk here or anything that you want to say about um, what it is to be a fully empowered introvert, like what that experience really looks like? Yeah. Well, I think one myth is that we miss the difference between isolation and solitude Mm. in our culture a lot. So isolation is a sense of being disconnected, of not belonging. And that can happen even in a crowd. It's not really about physical space, but the stereotypes of isolation get attached to introverts a lot when they actually don't fit because what introverts are usually seeking is solitude and that's alone time that's chosen on purpose intentionally to be restorative or process or reflect. It's where we do some of our best mental work, you know, and then bring that back to our relationships. It actually helps us live more connected lives. And so Introverts are not isolated, the research shows, for the most part. Of course, every type, some people struggle with that. We are choosing solitude, and that can be a real gift. And so I think recognizing that is important. Mm -hmm. And that introverts and extroverts love people equally and are equally social. We just may differ in the settings that we love to do that in. And again, these are kind of stereotypes, so they may not fully be a fit, but you know, an introvert may love one-on-one coffee with a friend. That's my favorite way to connect. Mm -hmm. Or an extrovert might love to host a dinner party every weekend. And so neither one loves people more. They just love them differently. And so I think recognizing that. And then leadership styles. All these studies have shown that extroverts and introverts are equally effective leaders, even in positions like CEO but they do tend to have a slightly different style. Often an introvert will lead from behind is what I call it. So they will find a cause or a person or a company to champion and they will kind of get behind that in a way that's not always as visible, but just as valuable where the extroverts are great at being the face of that company or tackling a lot of those more public things. And I think for that reason, we often find introvert extrovert pairs when things go really well, like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak are an introvert extrovert pair that I think Jennifer Conwiler, um, who writes about introverts too, calls those pairs genius opposites. And so we work well as a complementary pairing, but we both lead equally well. And so I think just recognizing, again, that it's just, it's not about people, it's not about leadership, it's just about a different way of engaging with our environment, and that we really are a complementary pairing, that we're better and stronger together when we, we link up as introverts and extroverts. 
Yeah, I love all of that. As you were talking about the the way that um, introverts and extroverts might like to be with people, I was thinking, man, that also sounds like me. I love <laughs> one-on-one coffee. And I also, and this is um, probably the, the HSP part of me being an extrovert, I love a curated party where there are yeah. specific people there. I don't love a party just because it's a party and there's people. Whereas, yeah. you know, a non-highly sensitive extrovert would probably really enjoy just meeting a bunch of new people or hanging out with whoever it is that's there and, and being around people and chatting. And so um, I, I love how you reminded our listeners about this sort of spectrum, that we're all on this continuum of sensitivity, of introversion and extroversion. And it's really about being aware of where on that continuum you fall and yeah. then making peace with it and not um, berating yourself for, for you know, going to a a party where you don't know a lot of people and feeling like, I kind of wish I wasn't here. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's the way that you're hardwired or going to coffee one-on-one and thinking like, man, this is like too much of the same person, or this conversation is too intimate or too intense. You know, that might be reflective of, of being more extroverted or not as sensitive and and just meeting your people needs in different ways. Yeah. And it's really fascinating too. the amount of time we need with other people and on our own is also influenced by those neurotransmitters, two different ones. Oxytocin influences how much relational time we need. Vasopressin influences how much time alone we need. So we all are kind of born with a different mix of that, which I love because again, it's like, this is by design. You know, as a writer, I need a lot of time alone to get my work done. And I happen to be okay with that. If I were someone intended to be, you know, a CEO of a big company, that wouldn't be as good of a fit. So that person might have a totally different mix. And so what scientists have found is those levels work like hunger and thirst. Hmm. We kind of know, you know, like, okay, I need time with my people now, or I need time on my own. We just tend in our modern culture to override them, you know? And so then we don't get to that kind of, like you're saying, healthy mix for us individually of those two different kinds of time. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage people to just listen to that. And like you're saying, just honor it, like whatever it is, don't attach a judgment to it, or this is good, this is bad, I should or shouldn't just listen to what your body and your mind and your heart are saying, like, all right, I need people time now, I need to pull back and know that that is part of who you are. And that all those different levels and amounts and designs are needed in this world. And I love that you liken it to hunger and thirst, which fluctuates. You know, we don't judge when we feel hungry. We don't judge when we feel satiated. And and yet when it comes to people and relationships and being out in the world, sometimes we judge ourselves when we don't think we have enough or we think we've had too much. And 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 what I'm really hearing from you is to soften that and really just to to settle in and, and make peace with it. And to not compare, because if we compare, then it is gonna look like something's off because that person we're comparing to isn't designed in the same way. They don't have that same hunger and thirst level. So we, we wouldn't go to a restaurant and sit down and look at someone at another table and say, I have to order the ribeye, even (laughs) though I'm vegetarian, you know, because someone else clearly thinks that's the right choice. And when it comes to our social lives, we do that to ourselves. We say, I have to, you know, take in what everyone else is. And then it ends up not being what's optimal for our personal, social, and emotional health. 
Yeah. I love that. I'm cracking up about the way that you, because when you say that, I don't have to order a ribeye if somebody else is eating it as a vegetarian. It's so, it just makes so much sense. And yet when we are talking about our social lives, we get so hard, hard on ourselves. So thank you for, for pointing that out and, and, and offering that um, levity and, and just kind of really making peace with who we are. Um, you know, so given the, the times that we're in, in, you know, we're, what now, six, seven months into coronavirus, and a lot of people are home and, and working from home, and kids are, a lot of kids are um, doing school from home. What I've noticed is that introverts and sensitive people are generally handling this shift in life um, with a little more ease than extroverts. Um, I don't want to say that, that they're having an easier time, because I think all of us are living with sort of a, a, a low-grade chronic stress these days. Um, but can you speak a little bit to that about about how um, about how introverts might be um, having an easier time? Why extroverts might be struggling? Any tips for for people to kind of navigate life these days with a little more ease? Yeah, it's been interesting, especially when this first started. I heard from several introverts who sent me a message that said, "I know I'm not supposed to feel this way." Again, that guilt we put on ourselves, but I'm, I feel so free, you know, like I've been able to lay down so many obligations that I picked up without even realizing it. And so I think that for many introverts, there was this sense of relief of just, okay. And then as time has gone on, I've heard more and more of them say, I miss that meaningful time with my people, you know, but I think that for all of us, just evaluating, especially as we go back into normal life, we have gotten to set down a lot that we carried before this and we get to choose at least somewhat some choices aren't optional and i don't want to make light of that but sometimes we get to choose what we pick back up again so if we pick something up again in our lives that feels heavy we get the opportunity to say maybe it's time to let this go mm -hmm. and that that's okay and so doing some of that reflection, I also hear from introverts who say, my people are in my house all the time <laughs> and they're making me crazy, you know, because for them, the house was the refuge when the kids went off to school or, you know, when the spouse was at work and suddenly everyone is there all the time. Mm -hmm. I think extroverts probably are even experiencing that too. And so I think just, finding creative ways to get even a few minutes of that solitude to keep our sanity. I read about Joanna Gaines, who's an introvert and probably one of the busiest women on the planet, but she <laughs> says her little trick is before she goes into something new, she just sits in her car by herself for five minutes. And I'm like, that's doable, you know? So sit in your car, lock yourself in the bathroom, like whatever it takes, it's okay. We are all, you know, in survival mode right now. Absolutely. And so, so yes, yeah, so I think while uh, introverts have some natural capacity for solitude that has probably been helpful, that it's also challenging to have people around in ways they weren't before too. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I just, I so appreciate all of your wisdom and your sharing. And I'm curious if you want to leave our listeners today with any tips, especially the people who are still um, maybe struggling to accept their introversion or struggling to accept their sensitivity, any tips for them to really make peace with who they are or just kind of navigate this world that isn't really set up 
for sensitives or introverts with a little more ease? Yeah, I think one exercise that can be helpful is just writing down everything you do in a day and putting a plus by what energizes you and a minus by what drains you and a question mark if you're not sure. But especially, you know, looking at those minuses, are any of those optional, but especially looking at the pluses and saying, what strengths am I using in this situation? Because I think we do tend to hear more about the other side of introversion, what we don't like or don't want, you know, which leads to a lot of funny little, you know, jokes on the internet, but we don't often pause and say, what are the strengths that come with this? And same with being an HSP, you know, what are the strengths that come with being an HSP and actually writing those out, you know, by those plus, plus items in your list that I brought insightfulness or empathy or observance or perceptiveness or, you know, whatever it is that you bring to that situation, just learning to recognize it because our strengths often come so naturally to us that we don't even realize they're there. And if that's a hard exercise, asking someone in your life to do it with you, because the people in our lives see it, even if we can't, and just start to say, okay, this is who I am, and it's important, and it matters, and there's only one me, and the world gets what I have to offer through me or not at all, and so it doesn't, doesn't serve the world well if I tell myself I have to be someone else that... We need everybody to be exactly who they are. So that can be a starting point for just some perspective shifts. And Yeah, I love it. What a perfect tangible takeaway for, for listeners. So people who want to learn more about you, about your books, about your work, um, how can they find you? They can go to my site, hollygirth.com. I have a page specifically for introverts, hollygirth.com slash introverts, where they can find out more about the book. I also have the one minute quiz I mentioned where they can pop on and take the what percent introvert are you quiz really quickly and get that number, which people are having fun with. Some people are totally surprised by their scores. So that can be a fun little tool too. Yeah, I actually, I took that quiz and I was totally surprised. I think I scored was like over 70%. And that was when I reached out to you because I was like, wait a minute, I'm not an introvert. Or I don't at least identify as an introvert. And, um, and so I thought it was really very interesting. And um, as you've been identifying these introverted qualities, I understand why I scored as high as I did on that. Um, so thank you so much. And I want to encourage everybody listening to read The Powerful Purpose of Introverts. So thanks so much for being here, Holly. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.